Sports Rugby Ranta Banter, episode 170. Hey Shetties, it's me, Eddie Stevens. The time is now. 1 p.m. on the dot. My dot. Uh, but it was 12 p.m. on the dot, my dot, when I first recorded this. You see, I recorded an, an entire 45-minute episode only to discover that the cable to my microphone was half-connected and the result was a crackly mess of a podcast. Now, I know that a lot of you are thinking, oh, fucking hell, what is wrong with him? Eddie's a moron. He's technolo- technically incompetent, um, technologically incompetent, and technically co- incompetent. Um, uh, how's he always fucking it up? Well, let me tell you, I haven't fucked up anything in a really long time. Um, and I'm just going to put this down to ADHD. I've just get, do you know what? I'm never speaking of that again. Uh, it's become a running joke that anything that goes wrong in my life, I now put down to my newly, I was going to say newly acquired, but newly diagnosed ADHD. Um, I had erectile dysfunction the other night because of my ADHD, but that actually wasn't an, uh, an excuse. My mind went to weird places. I don't know about you. Can I get real for a second? How often when you're having sex, with a partner of your choice. Maybe not of your choice. Might be getting raped. I don't know. But let's say someone you've been with many times before. How often are you, are you completely in the moment and focused on them? And how often is your mind uh, secretly wandering to like tranny porn? Doesn't have to be tranny porn. That's just a, that was a random example, but you're just, you know, thinking of weird scenarios and shit that you don't know if you should talk about or not. And you could talk about it, but you talk too much during sex and it weirds her out after a while. You know, I think this is um, something we all deal with, right? <laughs> Why am I talking about this? Oh, yeah. So I like to use ADHD as an excuse for absolutely everything. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I just didn't think to check the cable. Uh, thought it was in, thought everything was good, but it wasn't. And uh, I was tempted to serve you the crackly mess of a podcast that I spent an hour on because it was really good. Um, the intro was a bit weird as per usual, although probably not as weird as this one has and will be. Um, and the the actual rugby content was uh, good, but there wasn't enough of it. Anyway, I'm just starting it again. Um, and I'm going to try not to do any of the stuff that I was unhappy with the first time this time around. Anyway, how are you doing? Don't worry about me. You all right? That's good. Um, let's see. What have I been doing today? Oh, I'm a bit groggy. I'm a bit out of it because I drugged myself last night. Not with good drugs, not with fun drugs, but with allergy medication because do you remember last week I told you that it gets really windy here? Well, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. I think I may have done. People's allergies are out of control because even though we live in a desert and you would, if you flew over here and visited, you'd go, well, there's no grass. There's no hay. How can you have hay fever? There's no green. That's not true. First of all, you idiot. There's lots of green up in the mountains, which I can see from my house. Um, but you're right to a certain extent around. There's very few plants and the plants that are here are just spikes. They're just spiky, like cactus and things like that. So you wouldn't think there'd be a bunch of pollen flying around, but that's not true. We got all sorts of shitty little asshole plants and the trees that we have, we have, we have a lot of juniper and they're potent allergens. Um, and they are notorious for fucking people up. 
Now, here's a little uh, lesson for you, though, that you, if you apply what I'm going to say to you to your life, it could radically change your life. But I know you won't because you're a lazy piece of shit and you're greedy, okay? But um, when I eliminated sugar from my diet many, many years ago, um, one of the many, many um, benefits I found was that I no longer suffered from seasonal allergies. I used to twice a year get them really, really bad where I was sneezing, my nose was running, my throat was tickly, my eyes were itching and falling out of my head. Um, I just felt like shit and I couldn't sleep. Um, when I got rid of the sugar, I no longer had any of that. It just all went away for years. But lately, I've been a uh, gluttonous, depraved pervert. And I have been, amongst many terrible things I've been doing, I've allowed myself to ha consume too much sugar. And I've noticed that I started to get some allergies. And uh, last night, I said, I'm not dealing with this shit. And I went to the shops and I bought some Benadryl antihistamine that does make you fall asleep so i took that last night and it knocked me the fuck out and so today i got i got just about enough sleep but i'm groggy and drugged you know you know that feeling where you get drugged oh i say you get drugged maybe you've been drugged. has anyone ever have you been uh, date raped has anyone ever slipped you a mickey roofied you uh, probably not, but you might have taken medication that makes you tired. Now, what? which is worse, being dopey all day from that or the the feeling you get when you haven't had enough sleep and you're like kind of like just, you feel just beat up? That's way worse, isn't it? When you're, when you're actually sleep deprived. I'll, I'll take the, the brain fog and just lethargic um, feeling you get from uh, being drugged over actual sleep de deprivation any day. But this is a challenge, and I struggled through it once, and I'm going to do it again. Um, really quickly, I um, I talked to an, uh, I say I talked to, I bumped into a really cool old man the other day. I've noticed that people, old old people are cool now, which is not ever how it was when I was little. Like when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, old people were lame, miserable, sometimes nice, but never cool. You didn't meet any cool old people. They're usually just like, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. Immigrants. Yeah. Um, I saw this old man uh, walking down the street uh, yesterday, and he had like a cool T-shirt on. He had a cool cap, like a cap, like kind of tilted to the side a bit. And like, not, it sounds pathetic. It sounds like uh, someone, like an old man wishing he was young, but he looked cool. He had like these tra like a tracksuit on like an, an Adidas or Adidas, depending on if you're American or not, uh, red tracksuit, cool shoes. I think they were, um, they might have been Adidas slash Adidas too. And uh, he had a hat, and that was probably the same brand. Uh, doesn't matter. He had a chain. He had a beard. He looked cool. And he walked past, he, and he said, what's up? And I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, he, he did that little uh, hang loose sign with his, you know, you put your little finger in your thumb out and you just jiggle it. And he goes, still fucking breathing, dude. I'm like, good God, that's cool. I mean, slightly aggressive. I almost felt like he was like, he thought, I'm still fucking breathing, dude. No thanks to you. Like, it was weird. Uh, but I was also like, no one talked like that when I was young. You know, when I was growing up, if, if, if an old man, if I'd have been like, seven years old, walk into the news agents to pick up some sweets with my pocket money. 
And an old man walked by and said hello. And I said, hey, how are you? And he said, still fucking breathing, dude. I'd have assumed he was planning to fuck me. Like, because that's... you. <laughs> I was growing up. In those days, old people were either boring or they were pedophiles. Pedophiles, right? Um, but that's not it. Now, old people are cool now. You don't have to worry about it. Old people today are actually cooler than young people today, aren't they? Like, young people are crying, literally crying on social media, freaking out because someone they don't know said something they don't agree with about something that they actually don't know anything about. And then they get offended by it. And they'll be like, someone will say something like, look, not all men are, you know, raping women. And they'll respond, look at this woman-hating racist Nazi. needs to be fucking killed. Cancel him. They go crazy with that shit. But old people don't even go on social media they're like it's not because they don't understand the technology they do my grandfather's almost 100 he used to work for ibm he was into computers he knew about the internet before it was even invented he predicted it okay and um they just don't want to do it they're like fuck the system we're not going to conform we're going to live life you're all pussies that's the way it is now but old people didn't used to be that way old people from my youth were straight laced squares man like, they grew up in a world where their idea of a crazy time was fucking flying a kite. They'd go to the park and fly a kite. And then they, if they were really cool, they might have a, a wireless that they'd listen to music that sounded like it was recorded in a tin can. And then they'd do the Charleston. Wee! All right, that's enough madness for one day, everyone. Calm down. And then the old people back then, because that's the other thing. Old people get cooler throughout time. The further back you go, the more lame they were. So when people were doing the Charleston, old people in those days would they freak out. They'd be like, Neil, stop it. Stop flying that kite. Stop doing the Charleston. It's satanic. Everything was satanic. That's more of an American thing, right? Old people, even nowadays, they think everything that they think is unacceptable and fun is satanic. Like anytime young people are having fun, that's Satan's work. Anything that brought pleasure is the, the work of the devil. And the further back you go, the more satanic everything fun seems. You know? Well, look at the way they're dancing. It's the devil. This rock and roll is the work of the devil. We need to ban jazz. Jazz is the work of the devil. Um, I don't know where it's going with that. But anyway, still fucking breathing, dude. I th- the more I talk about it, the more I find him annoying. Because that's a we- just Just say... Doing good. You know? Anyway, somehow I did an even worse intro this time, but it doesn't matter. Let's crack on and uh, hope for the best when it comes to the main portion of Rugby Rantabanta. It's Rugby Rantabanta, episode 170. Let's go. Well, fucking cunty bollocks and shit. Um, that was crackly too, wasn't it? Not as crackly as the first time when the cable was loose. Um, maybe my microphone is just broken. Uh, I don't know what to do. What I could do right now is stop recording and check for the quality, but I'm not going to because I'm stupid and I don't want to. And the cable is firmly in. So if you're getting crappy quality, just know that my microphone that is quite new 
um, and was paid for with funds from Sheddies that donated, I will then have to replace. But I will not ask for um, payment from anyone for that. I feel like I've taken too much from you already. Um, some of the money was spent on drugs. Just Benadryl. Allergy medicine. Um, fuck. I hope this isn't a waste of my time. This is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to crack on. I'm going to get on with it. I'm going to talk about the rugby from the weekend. Uh, a lot of what I would call really, really good rugby, but I know a lot of rugby purists will say was shit because you hate high-scoring rugby. And there's some very high scores, uh, wasn't there? Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to find my notes from the rugby. First off, right away, Bristol versus Northampton. Now, Bristol... And to a lesser extent, Northampton actually are a very kind of like a like a bipolar rugby team, and they're currently this weekend they were having a manic episode. Sometimes they're depressive, manic depressive, right? Sometimes they can't get anything right and they suck and they look terrible. And then times like this, they're incredible. Um, talk about Bristol for a minute, uh, and then I'll talk about my team, Northampton. I'm the world's worst Northampton fan. I don't even give a shit that they lost like this. It was fun to watch. Especially since this is normal for Northampton. All right, but I'll get into that. First of all, little Harry Randall uh, with his candle. Best nine in England, in my opinion. He's just got... Look, this. We've got a lot of good scrum halves in England. Um, uh, the, the current starting England number nine, um, Jack Van Portfleet, is very good. I do worry sometimes that he has a few too many brain farts. And he's um, liable to make a few mistakes. But he's still very, very good, especially his uh, box kicking. Uh, Alex Mitchell is fantastic. Um, plays at a very high, high, very high-paced athletic scrum half. Um, there's a few, aren't there? Rafi Quirk. But anyway, for me, little Harry Randall is the best of all of them. Mitchell comes in close with his speed and agility, but I don't quite see the same tenacity and fire that little, little Hay Randall has. There's something about him where he's just determined and confident. I've said this before. He's physically quick. He's somehow way more, way stronger and more explosive than his little 12-year-old boy's body should allow. And uh, you can just, there's just a, a, a determination and a confidence behind everything he does. And everything is intense. And he keeps the game going. He keeps the pace up. And if that's what you want, if you want a fast game plan, he's your man. I think he's fantastic. Um, the closest to him I can think of would be Danny Kerr in terms of that like tenacity. Um, Danny Kerr probably a little bit more relaxed in the way he plays, which actually, now that I say it, may be a good thing. Um, but I do want the game quicker. I think little Harry Randall is best. He played really well in this game. I really like Bristol in general, you know. It's become kind of trendy to shit on Bristol. I think a lot of people don't like Bristol or they enjoy it. It's, it's that schattenfreude or scheitenfreude or whatever. Maybe I'm saying completely the wrong word, but people seem to enjoy the suffering of Bristol. And I think it's because they had, they're all high-profile signings. Everything's expensive. A high-profile... High high-paid coach in Pat Lamb, and you got superstars like Randrandra, Charles Piatau, um, a few others, right? Not to mention little, little Hay Randall, Ellis Genge. You've got all these high-paid, 
I think some people feel like they tried to buy their way to being a good team, but I don't think that's really fair on them. Um, speaking of little Harry Randall, little Harry Thacker, fucking amazing again. Um, I quite enjoy Bristol because I actually like the way they play. I like that they are willing to chuck the ball about even when they shouldn't, and that they think that the that the, the answer to the question "How do you win the Premiership?" is to empower the players and play an exciting brand of rugby. And a lot of people, I think, think that that's just bullshit. Um, and they might be right, but I really like that they try at least. I like to watch them play um, even when they lose. Um, but same with uh, New uh, Northampton to a degree. Like, both these teams, Bristol and Northampton, they're almost French-like in their ability to be you know, absolutely fucking amazing one week and then absolutely fucking atrocious the next, depending on their mood. Like, honestly, I think if if, um, if Bristol and Saints had to play each other again next week, it wouldn't be batshit crazy to suggest that Northampton would win by the same amount of points. That's the way that these play, these two teams play. Plus, Saints were missing some important players. They didn't have Lewis Ludlam. They didn't have Alex Mitchell. Courtney Laws is not there. I think he's injured again. Um, they didn't have Tommy Freeman. Uh, who else were they missing? I'm sure there were some others. Nevertheless, it was a great, um, a great game to watch. I'll tell you this, though. This is normal for Saints. It's normal for Saints to go out and get their asses kicked one week. And then I don't know who Saints are playing next week, but whoever it is should be very afraid because I, I wouldn't be surprised if Northampton played better than any team has ever played in the Premiership next week. Um, anyway, that's it for that game. I want to get through this fairly quickly because I've already done and I've already spent a total of about an hour working on this podcast. I hope to fuck you'll be able to hear this because I'm telling you now, and you'll only know this if you're a magic person who is able to listen to podcasts that aren't released. Um, if this podcast, if this recording is garbled and crackly and unusable, unusable, I'm not doing another one. So you won't hear this. Terrifying thought. A waste of my time. Anyway, um, moving on to the next game: Leicester versus Bath. I didn't. I don't remember much of this game. I was getting distracted during it. It's kind of a, an ADHD. You know, I keep blaming it. I'm going to stop doing that. Ever since I got diagnosed with ADHD, it's my excuse for everything. I already said that, didn't I? Did. And now I'm talking about it again. Well, it's the ADHD. Um, but no, I was getting distracted during this game a lot. And my only notes from this game are. Um, Oh, Tom Dunn gets a yellow card? No way. Because Tom Dunn, I don't like Tom Dunn as a player. I think he's massively overrated. I used to quite like him, but the only reason I liked him is that the commentators always hype him up. They're always saying how tough he is and uh, how consistent he is. And uh, I know Dave Flatman loves him, but didn't he play with him? He must have done. Um, the only time I noticed Tom Dunn during a game of rugby is when he's giving away stupid penalties and or getting carded or when the commentators are talking about him uh being a great player but i never see him do anything that well i mean he's good he's a premiership hooker i'm not saying he shouldn't be there but i don't think he should be in the, in the uh, england conversation oh next note i see mike fucking brown 
So I was talking, I was praising Mike fucking Brown last week. I took out my pooey Shider's touch finger, the pooey finger, and I touched Mike fucking Brown because I said how great he was for England and that he had an unfair reputation for not passing when he needed to and being greedy with the ball. And then it, I said it was based on nothing and it was bullshit. And then this week, he completely fucked up a very easy try by just not passing the ball. So sorry, Mike fucking Brown. I did that. Um, and then Bath got spanked, didn't they? I think they did in the end. I don't know what the score was, but Bath just keeps... It's weird with Bath because I feel like it's not just that they're not a bad team on paper. When I watch them play, they look like a decent team a lot of the time, but they just keep losing. I don't know. That's all I... Shider's touch. That's the biggest news of this game. Alfie Barberi, whose career I suspect my Shider's touch destroyed when I hyped the fuck out of him, um, lasted about 30 seconds before he had to come off with a knee injury. He just came back from being out all season injured. And he steps on the pitch and hurts himself again. Now, my only hope is that I, it was his knee that he hurt, and I don't think that his knee is what had kept him out injured all this time. So let's hope that it's just a little just a little knee injury that he can uh, come back from in a couple of weeks. Because he tried to walk it off, but he just couldn't. But you never know. Fuck, it was awful. I just want to see him play. Imagine him for England. I'm going to shut up. I don't want to talk about it. And then finally, this is going to be a very quick episode. It, like, like I said, I probably talked about rugby for half an hour in addition to like a 15 to 20 minute intro earlier on the unused podcast that was crackly. Um, I'm probably going to do about 15 to 20 minutes this time on rugby because I can't be bothered to, to go through it all again. But Sale versus Saracens was a great game. I feel like anyone watching that must have enjoyed it because it had everything. It wasn't like a crazy, it was a close game um, with a comeback and solid defense but still lots of nice scores. And speaking of lots of nice scores, Carpenter, is it Joe Carpenter? I think he's called Joe Carpenter. But Carpenter, the sale fullback, is fucking amazing. I love him. I don't want to ah, shit my shot. Listen, don't get annoyed with me if he gets injured because I have to talk about who I think is good. That's the whole point of this podcast is I want to say who I think should be playing for England, England and who shouldn't. Um, but Carpenter, that one run he went on where he... First of all, he runs straight through multiple Saracens, including at least one front rower. And then he's... One of the front rowers... It was a prop. Was it Hislop? Gets sent off because Carpenter runs into him with so much force, he sort of bounces him and gives the prop... Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, whiplash. And his head kind of makes contact with him, carries on on his merry way, and the prop has to go off red-carded. I don't agree with the red card, to be honest with you, but what a dynamic, powerful, destructive run that was. And he doesn't, he's not a big man, but he's a, that's what I call it. When you see someone who's not huge, but they move explosively and they throw their weight around um, effectively um, and they look athletic, he is efficiently built. He's a great, great player, a great my second choice for England because Freddie Stewart has the shirt nailed on. 
you would think if Freddie Stewart gets injured, it would be Arundel, but Arundel may be victim to that um, Austin Healy style uh, versatility curse where he's so good across the whole back three. I mean, we've already seen it. He's come on as a sub on the wing, but when wingers have been dropped or injured, he stays on the bench because he, the 23 shirt is his. Not necessarily a bad thing, although I do think Borthwick should give him a bit more time when he comes on. Um, some more notes from this Sale versus Saracens match, by the way. Uh, Johnny Hill's playing much better, uh, at least over the last couple of times I've seen him. He's looked like a much better player, which is good. It's good for England because I'd like to see him playing at his sort of pre-Lions level, where, which he hasn't had for a while. Um Although Dave Ribbons is in the England squad right now, no one's budging uh, uh, um, Itoji and Chesham. Uh, I would like to see Dave Ribbons on the bench, but bench because I don't rate Ezekwe at all. And in fact, again, Ezekwe, um, I was going to say and Billy Vunapola, but, he, but Vunapola sometimes is impressive. I think he's definitely riding his, uh, uh, what, what, what you call it, um, Riding his reputation a little bit, but he's still a big fucker. Occasional good game, but he's nowhere near an English shirt anymore. But Nick Azikwe, I just never see. I've just never seen him do anything that makes me feel like he's an England player. I don't get it. Um, speaking of uh, Sale players playing for England, one completely blown my mind is the opinion of some people. And I'm not talking about Twitter trash. I'm not talking about like armchair fans that just say dumb shit on Twitter all the time. I'm talking about people whose opinions I respect. But a lot of people whose opinions opinions I respect seem to think that bringing George Ford straight back into the England lineup is in, is a smart thing to do. I don't get it. I just don't understand how you can think that. Like I have a lot of respect for you thought I was going to say George Ford. I do. But I have even more respect for how much injuries can affect players' um, performances. And he's been out a really long time, and there's no telling. You see players missing from injury. Sometimes they come back in seamlessly, but sometimes they're half the player they used to be. And I want to see George Ford play in at least three games, playing well. He needs to earn the shirt if he's going to have it at all. And we've got two really good fly halves in the squad right now in Owen Farrell and Marcus Smith. So I just, I, I, I don't really have a lot, any time for that shit. Um, I'll tell you who I do want to have in the England conversation, though, but who never, ever is, is O'Flaherty. Flaherty. O'Flaherty. Such a tricky name to say, because it's not O'Flaherty. You have to kind of just drunkenly go, a flaherty. flaherty. You've got to say it in an Irish accent, but he's not Irish. He's English. And um, he's never in the conversation for England, which doesn't make sense. And I, and I, and I'm, uh, I include myself in this. I haven't really mentioned him ever. And I've been talking about players like Ollie Hassel Collins and Ben Loader and Adam Radwan, but are they better than O'Flaherty? At least in terms of, like, just look at his performances. He's always a threat. He seems to be very good at the, under the high ball, very good at kick chase, technically very good. Um, I don't know why he's never in the discussion, but he should be, and he is now, thanks to me. I just did it. And those are the only games I was going to talk about. Those were three games. There were two other games, weren't there? 
and I can't remember who played in them, but uh, the London Irish match I had sex through, and uh, there was one other game. Who was it? Newcastle? It's hard because you, there's always one team not playing. It doesn't matter. What I want to do now is go through the England team and say who I think should be playing for England against France, and then if I have any players, because this is this will be from the squad. There's a, I think it's a twenty. I'll pick players from that, and then if I feel like there's someone not in the squad that should be, I'll mention it. Okay. So starting at loose head. Now this is the big one because we've got Ellis Genge starting. I would start Ellis Genge every fucking day, no matter who's available. Okay. But then on the bench we've got Mako Vunapola. Now I've been talking to uh, about this on Twitter today. I saw the squad. And I saw Mako Vunapola, and I just thought, how the fuck is Mako Vunapola being picked ahead of Bevan Rod and Val Rapava Ruskin? Now I can't remember if I already talked about this earlier in the in the podcast, because I obviously talked about this in the, the Lost recording, and I don't know, I can't remember if I talked about this is a nightmare. I'm just going to say it again. Hopefully I'm not repeating myself. So, Makovinopola is a shell of the player he used to be. Bevan Rod is fantastic. Now, some people, I know that um, Phil Elkins of Mallover uh, said that he thinks he's too lightweight for international rugby. Uh, I say that Phil Elkins is a size queen. And um, he's just all about the size. I am open to the idea that at international level, you do need a bit more, you know, weight matters size matters especially since we've seen england um fail in a world cup almost entirely because of their scrum so i know scrummaging is the most important thing but macavunapola is not great at scrummaging right now who is rapava ruskin's pretty goddamn good and if size is an issue stick him in but i don't think it is. i think rapava i think um bevan rod is good enough if he's good enough he's big enough oh god i hope i didn't say this to you already um Val Ruskin couldn't understand why he's not being picked. People keep saying, oh, it's because uh, Bordwick's not allowed to pick. Uh, not allowed. Fuck, I hope it's um, He's not allowed to pick uh, players outside of the EPS, which I think is an absolutely absurd, shambolic state of affairs. He should be able to pick whoever the fuck he wants. Um, and I don't think anyone's ever proven that that actually is a rule. And I was losing my mind over this, but then somebody on he actually was in it in, in an England training squad, and Steve Borthwick wasn't impressed with his fitness. That's why he's not involved. And if that's the case, I can accept that because, yeah, if, if there's certain requirements at international level for fitness and he doesn't meet them, then you can't pick him. However, if I was Steve Borthwick, I would consider at least, you know, put him on the bench, bring him on for 20 minutes, he can handle 20 minutes. Um, starting and I would have Jamie George start but on the bench we've got um, Jack Walker who he's alright but we've got little Harry Thacker at Bristol who is practically superhuman and again you're talking about size I'm not trying to pick little players although it, it is a con uh, my girlfriend said that to me recently she's like you love the little one I don't think I do but little Harry Randall little um 
But I think that's a coincidence, I think. Oh, um, Bevan Rod too, shit. Anyway, I would have little Harry Thacker on the bench rather than Jack Walker. But I suppose, it, I was going to say it's not the end of the world, but actually it is. It really pisses me off. At tight head, Kyle Sinclair, yeah, he deserves to be there right now. Um, Dan Cole on the bench, I'd rather have Will Stewart. But again, it's the, it's the George Ford uh, thing I said earlier. Will Stewart was out injured for a while. He needs a bit more game time. And Dan Cole's not the end of the world to, to bring on a tight head. Uh, second row, Chesham and Otoji, I already said they are immovable right now. And I'd have uh, Dave Ribbons on the bench because he is in that 27-man squad. I'd like to see more of George Martin. I'd like to see him brought back in at some point. But I'm, I'm okay with all that. Back row. So last match, it was Lewis Ludlam at six, Jack Willis at seven, and Alex Dombrant at eight, I believe. I would make a change. Um, there are some players outside of this squad who I'm interested in that I wouldn't mind see, seeing given a chance. I quite like to see Will Evans, who ironically, after what I just said, I used to think was too small, but I've seen enough of him now to think that's not the case. Um, Tom Curry would be nice to have back when he's fit. Tom Pearson um, should be in the conversation, and he tends to be. I'll be open to him starting for England or being on the bench. And actually someone that no one talks about, but I mentioned once or twice, and I still think is an option, is uh, Ruan Ackerman from Gloucester, who is England eligible. Now, usually I say we'll use foreigners as a last result, and we have tons of options in the back, back row, and that's why I probably wouldn't pick him. But I think he's worth mentioning. Um, now, Alex Dombrand, poor in the first game, bit better in the second Better, bet, even better in the third game. I thought he played quite well against Wales. But I would make a change here, and I would go Ludlam at six, Jack Willis at seven, and I'd have Ben, ben Earl at eight. A smaller player again, sorry. But look at that back row. You've got Lewis Ludlam. He's a big boy. He can play eight. Lu uh, Jack Willis, he's a big boy. He can play eight. And Ben Earl, who's not as small as some people seem to act. And he's powerful and dynamic, and any weight... Um, advantage that Alex Dombrandt has over Earl. I think Earl makes up for with his power and pace. And I have, I'd have Dombrandt on the bench. I don't think I'd bring in anyone from outside of the squad personally for this. Uh, moving along, because I really want to wrap this up. Scrum half, Alex Mitchell I'd have start. Obviously, it's going to be Jack Van Portfleet with Mitchell most likely on the bench. But I think Mitchell deserves is, is the better of the two. It's that simple. Um, but if I had my choice, I'd have little Harry Randall starting. I would. And on the bench, I would have um, Alex Mitchell. Because I rate the, the England scrum halves like this. To me, it's little Harry Randall is the best. Alex Mitchell right now on form is right behind him. JVP is right there too. And then Rafi Quirk is sort of on the outside right now, but threatening to usurp them all as he returns from injury to full form. Um, so that's what I would do. I'd have Harry Randall starting um, with Mitchell on the bench, but as it is, I'd start Mitchell for this game and have um, uh, Van Portfleet on the bench. Now, this will shock some of you. At fly half, I think I'd stick with up. I, I'm going to end this now, and I'm sorry if it was all crackly, but really, really quickly. Uh, Owen Farrell at fly half. I know it's crazy. I'd have Marcus Smith on the bench, but I'd give him more than 20 seconds. Um, 
stick with the same back three. Watson on one wing. Malin's assuming he's fit on the other. Freddie Stewart at fullback. In the centres, Ollie Lawrence. I would switch Henry Slade for Joe Marchant. Um, and I can't be bothered to talk about the subs now because I think that uh, this uh, this episode may have been ruined. Okay. And if it wasn't, thank God and sorry for the abrupt ending. Goodbye. Yo